0: Good morning, afternoon. afternoon. It's always afternoon. I'm used to saying good morning on these things. Uh, But good afternoon and welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible class. Uh, Rick has been studying in uh, our normal Wednesday night classes on uh, the different types throughout Scripture. Uh, And this week uh, we're going to be finishing up the tabernacle uh, and the type that it is for Jesus.
1: And if we have time, we'll go ahead and begin the uh, next lesson after that, uh, which talks about uh, the bread of life and uh, the water of life uh, and that Old Testament uh, comparison. If this is your first time, uh, we might need to spend just a couple of minutes, again, uh, reviewing what a type is and what, uh, how God uses them um, and for what purposes. Um, a type is something that occurs in the Old Testament it is a uh, a signal for us it's a copy a pattern a shadow those are all definitions of the word type but what a type is is a a mini prophecy of sorts it is something that uh, exists in the old testament in the form of a person or it could be an an entity like an institution of some sort it could be an event that took place in the old testament Um, And what God does in Scripture is he takes that situation, person, event, whatever, and points us to the New Testament, something that occurs in the New Testament that is a fulfillment of that many prophecy if you will. It's a connection that we as students of his uh, word are supposed to make. Um, it demonstrates and illustrates God's um, omniscience, his omnipotence, his ability to uh, not only to make things happen um, under the old law uh, when, when he apparently exerted himself in a little bit more dramatic and regular fashion, um, but also to New Testament times as well. The things that occurred uh, to Jesus, the, thing, uh, the things that happened to him. Um, in in his life, the type of individual he was, uh, the role that he played. um, And we have those comparisons as well. And so not only does that demonstrate uh, to us God's ability to influence uh, history, uh, certainly biblical history, uh, for our benefit, but that benefit is for us so that we can understand not only his greatness, and his power to do this, but also an appreciation for God in that he was able to create, create these types for us and plant them in the scripture so that when we run across them, when we study them, we can look back and say, wow, that's impressive. Um, one other point we should make is that within with all of these that we have looked at so far and we've looked at Uh, person to person, a person to a, we'll just call it a thing, an entity, whatever you want to refer to it as, and uh, we are now looking at a thing to a person, uh, the tabernacle and Christ, and we will look at some things to things uh, in our our latter few lessons here, but what that does for us is it deepens our faith in the scripture, that it is inspired of God, that it does recount for us not only history, but a, um, a signaling that God is trying to talk to us in the scriptures, that he has planted these things for us so that we can see that everything under the old system, whether it be the uh, age of the patriarchs, or whether it be the mosaical age, um, or uh, time of prophecy, uh, the prophets going along there, that... Everything there was for our learning and was at the same time inferior to that which we find in the New Testament and, and what we find in Jesus. Did you want to add anything to that? Just a general comment about uh just a, just a couple of comments about uh, the video in general. <clears throat> we, uh, I've
0: lost the, uh, the thing that hooks up our mics to my phone. And so the audio is not going to be great today. Uh, maybe it'll be okay. Um, I think you're probably seeing the uh, the closed captioning on there. So I didn't put that on there, but that's something Facebook's done. So Really? Yeah, so that's kind of neat. Uh,
1: so if that's
0: off, uh, sorry about that.
1: Uh, I hope they spell everything correctly. Right. I don't want you to think that we're speaking uh, misspelled words. Sorry, okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> would you want to close the door? Would that yeah, help good a little idea. bit in uh, keeping that sound in here? Um, I wanted to start uh, today. Uh, last week we uh, started with the tabernacle, um, that uh, edifice that was uh, prescribed by God for Moses to build once the children of Israel escaped the bondage of Egypt and all that they went through uh, on that. They uh, get out into the wilderness and God gives them his law. And along with that law, he also gives them uh, this requirement of building, constructing a place for him to reside. Not physically. God is a spirit. And uh, God does not physically um, come down to this earth um, and I don't think he ever has, although some say that you know there might are there small allusions to that in the Old Testament, which we won't get into. Um, but we have uh, God wanting man to know that He was present with them, that His presence was something that was very special for the Israelites. He had never done this uh, for for another group of people. Um, God had communed uh, with Moses individually, communed with Abraham, he communed with uh, Adam and Eve and and Noah and others. Um, so talking with man uh, was one thing. But for God to devise some way to, um, in a physical, uh, visual way, show that he was with them, that he was guiding them, that he was protecting them, that he was... was um, caring for them and their existence. Um, he did so in the construction of the tabernacle. Um, he spends 12 chapters talking about the setup, not only of the design and the carrying out and the construction of, of the tabernacle, but all the way down to the detail of how it was to be carried from one place to the, to another, because the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling. It was a place where, as the Israelites Uh, got out into the wilderness, they would uh, set up camp, and then whenever God said to move on, the cloud that was over uh, the uh, tabernacle would move. And so they said, time to go. And so they would pack up and then follow that cloud and then follow the pillar of fire by night um, as well. So um, he spends 12 chapters and I think included in that cha- those 12 chapters is also information about the priests and what they were supposed to do in the tabernacles and a whole lot of detail about uh, more than just the construction. But he talks about how he wants things set up. And he goes into uh, deep specificity and detailed clarity about how he, how he wants uh, this to work for the people. <clears throat> we uh, talked about, uh, just before we... Uh, finished last time. Um, I'm going to read uh, John John 1 uh, about the first 14 verses. There, most of us are familiar with uh, that passage and what it it includes and what it's talking about there. But it t- it sets up this notion for us that, that Jesus um, is our representation of access to God, the tabernacle was man's access to God under the old law uh, in very limited ways and in, um, as we say, inferior ways. It was the only thing they had at the time. It was uh, real time for them. It was uh, their means of of at least calling to remembrance uh, their sins, and it was a sign once again that God was uh, watching over them, caring for them, protecting them. And making sure that their journey to the promised land um, got to take place. In John, the first chapter, it says this In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it and it. there came a man sent from god whose name was john he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him he was not that light but came that he might bear witness of the light There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was made in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in verse 14 it says, The Word indeed became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we talk about Christ leaving heaven, where he had been from before the beginning of time. He was eternal, just as God was, um, infinite in his existence. Uh, He came to this earth. He left heaven, came to this earth, took upon himself the lowly flesh of man and lived among his brethren. He came to do God's will. He came to deliver God's will to mankind and in doing so he ended up being not received and that's putting it mildly uh, by his own uh, even to the point where he died on the cross. Um, I asked Chris just before we started uh, if he would to uh, elaborate a little bit on this word, uh, word that we have here. Um, that is the representation of God. It's a strange way for John to start his gospel here. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. I don't remember any time before that that we hear Jesus being referred to as Word. Um, And so he's going to talk a little bit about that, and then (coughs) we'll come back, and then I'm going to uh, mention one other point before we get into that chart that's on page 69.
0: So this term is what scholars would call a pregnant term. <laughs> it means a whole lot uh, and, uh, and just a little bitty vessel. Uh, and so this small word uh, like Rick was talking about means, uh, has these illusions of pre-existence, of eternality. Um, this, this being existed before the worlds were ever here. Um, almost amorphous, doesn't have a, a shape. Uh, doesn't, isn't able to be contained. Um, and also you see in this word <clears throat> the creative uh, power of God. Uh, with the word, he spoke the worlds into being. With word, he created man. Uh, with breath, he, he breathed in life into man. Uh, and so you see all of that um, caught up in this word, and, and there's more. Um, but I think that's one of the things that John wants us to see is, is this word is, is God is before all the other stuff that was here, this was there.
1: Um, the word that, that you mentioned that I, that I would have focused in on uh, was power. The other is authority, mm-hmm. you know, and, and both of those are included in what you said about speaking uh, things into, crea- uh, into creation, into existence. Uh, Ex nihilo, Hmm. I believe they say, out of nothing, God spoke uh, things into existence. Um, And also uh, within those first few verses there, and backed up by other scripture in the New Testament, is this notion that Jesus was not a passive player in the creation. Um, You can go back to Genesis and say, let uh, you know, and and God—it's—it's plural there. Uh, let us make man in our own image. But here you find that Jesus, nothing came into being without his participation, without him bringing those things into being. And in doing so, not only did he illustrate and demonstrate unbelievable and unfathomable fathomable um, power, but also authority. And that authority that was given to him or was already his in heaven, was given to him on earth. And he, he, he spoke uh, multiple times about uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. But at the same time, he was yielding to the will of his Father. I speak nothing that the Father has not given me to say. So we have wrapped up in that word logos and in those uh, verses there uh, in John, this idea that, Jesus was preexistent. He came to dwell among man. And that verse 14, um, and I meant to uh, I meant to say that before I got into uh, asking Chris, but John 1 verse 14 where it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another translation of the word dwelt there is tabernacled. I don't know if God was doing a word uh, play on words there um, through John uh, in this or else he was just making an assertion there that we should make that connection because he goes on to say, if, if you're doubting that, he goes on to say, and we beheld his glory. When did the Israelites behold the glory of God in the tabernacle? the high priest went in and, and his glory filled the tabernacle. And once a year, the high priest would go in and, and offer those sacrifices that were not being sacrificed for on a regular uh, basis. So that glory that the Israelites were able to witness and view um, in the tabernacle was similar or should have been similar to the glory that we exhibit experienced, if we had been in first century um, Christianity, the the glory in the Son as well. He left heaven, he became flesh, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Should have been
0: obvious, right? John, uh, I've been impressed as we've walked through John's um, signs, uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, just how clear it should have been to everyone. You know, it was clear to John, uh, and in fact, he did those seven signs so that Jesus's deity could be clear, made clear to everyone, uh, just as clear as the glory coming out of the ta- out of the tabernacle should have been. Yeah. Uh, Jesus's glory, uh, the Father's glory, coming through Jesus, in, in John 1:14, ought to have been very clear to people.
1: The uh, title of this lesson is Presence of God tabernacle and jesus christ and the connection that obviously that we are trying to i'm gonna have to i've turned off the sound but i'm still getting uh emails (laughs) um so we'll we'll shut that down totally i'll sit on it maybe that'll that'll help dull the sound anyway um but the presence of god was uh visible with the tabernacle the presence of jesus of god uh within with an in jesus should have been obvious And I'll read one more passage before we get into um, that chart. In Matthew, the first chapter, when uh, Mary um, conceives Jesus um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, it says in in Matthew 1, uh, verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Here is a young woman. They were betrothed, but they uh, were not married at this point. And uh, it says, when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he uh, who will save the people of um, save his people from their sins. The name Jesus comes from Jeshua, which means or alludes to the idea of being a Savior. Now all of this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, this prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled, saying, and here's the prophecy, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name, not Jesus, but Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So, Jesus was that common name, um, still had a meaning attached to it that they used as he was being raised and as he um, was an adult. But the prophecy mentions this idea that uh, the name, not by which he would be called, but a name which carries a great deal of significance that is going to be attached to him, is God with us, the presence of God. So, Even under Old Testament prophecy, we had this notion that Jesus was going to be that um, physical manifestation of God on the earth, but also who would carry so, so much spiritual importance uh, concerning God's presence uh, with us. And we talked last time about uh, the veil in the temple, uh, how when Jesus died on the cross, at the moment he died, the veil was torn from top to bottom that area in the temple just like in the tabernacle where common priests could not even go in just the high priest and only once a year that veil was ripped into from top to bottom and this was a very heavy piece of of cloth the point being that when jesus died he died for the sins of mankind when he rose He was able to break down that partition that separated man from God. Man had separated himself through his sins, but now man can go directly to God in prayer and through Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and uh, for spiritual blessings uh, as well. So, all of that to set up where we are in the lesson over on page 69. as we go through i think there are in uh, 14 here there are uh another few uh another one two three four five six uh seven eight or nine of those in that next chart um were all of these um intended for us to make these connections uh i've gone back and forth on this over, over the years uh as we said when we started uh these less series of lessons there is the tendency how, like in reading a poem or reading a short story that uh, that has um a bunch of symbolism in it there is the tendency that once you get rolling on these you go oh yeah and then there's this oh yeah and then there's this um I call it nostradomising uh mm. <laughs> the the work of, of of literature uh you you your mind starts going in ways that you think oh well well, maybe maybe that's intended as well. Oh, look at that comparison. I am not sure uh, if all of these. And I make the statement over on the last page. I say we do not know for sure that God initiated uh, every one of these comparisons. And if we are guilty of overdoing it, then I am sure he will forgive us. The intent is to provide the reader with food for thought about how God speaks to us through types. Well, there's an extra S in there that I need to edit out. The point being is this there is enough here that I am thoroughly convinced that God needed and wanted us to see this connection between the tabernacle and Jesus in um, the things that we're going to talk about now do do we have to struggle to make these connections I don't think so were they intended I'm, I'm more convinced now that they were uh, than I have been in the past especially in that second chart that we'll get to in just a minute um, but people have been studying uh, these types uh, for years. Um, A.W. Pink, who, uh, where most of these uh, points come from, um, is a well-respected uh, commentator. Uh, McGarvey and Luganville, uh, the one for the next uh, table, uh, are, are well-respected scholars in the field uh, of Old Testament literature. And um, I, I tend to trust them um, I will test them whenever I read uh, a supposed scholar because there's a bunch of scholars out there who are really wrong about mm-hmm. an awful lot of things. So um, but these, I think I think, uh, can pretty well be uh, justified, uh, or else I wouldn't uh, put them in here. Uh, the first one that we talk about here is uh, the, uh, the tabernacle was a temporary uh, appointment, as we said, it was a tent. Uh, but a very elaborate tent. Um, and in being something that was temporary, something that was movable, uh, it was inferior not only to the temple that would be constructed and would be glorious. and and uh, uh, those those uh, countries that that came in and and took over, uh, took uh, the Israelites into uh, slavery, um, conquered them. Um, always did their best to take the gold and and things that were out of the temple. Um, It had a lot of really uh, nice, elaborate, uh, impressive stuff in it. And so the temple was uh, even a more stationary, uh, a a superior uh, effort to the tabernacle. And it was by design. God designed it to be that way. In Jesus, on the other hand, we have... um, A temple that, as we said last week, in a couple of places, and maybe even more than those places, a temple not made with hands. Those things made with hands would suggest that's inferior. Heaven is superior to anything that we will find on earth, and the scriptures are are replete in making that point. Uh, Jesus who is our access to that heavenly tabernacle where he abides (coughs) currently at the right hand of God, certainly is superior to anything here on this earth. So um, that first point there about the temporariness of the tabernacle, the less temporary aspect but still inferior aspect of the temple um, compared to Jesus is the the type, uh, at least part of the type that we're talking about there. Anytime you want to jump in and make a point, you just raise a finger or (laughs) poke me with that finger or or whatever. Um, Second point, Israel wandered in the wilderness without a home or a resting place until uh, the conquest of Canaan. Um, Chris, correct me on this. I believe uh, that did it take them somewhere in, in the area of two years to get up to Canaan? Or was it that long? Or was it more like six months? I have both of those in in mind. I'm not sure.
0: Hit it up in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure
1: either. He's not coming out with anything authoritative, (laughs) so I'm going to go. Uh, We know that it took them a while to get up to Canaan. Um, And once they did, they were not allowed to go in because of the spies and the bad report and all of this, the lack of faith of the people. And so he sends them back into the wilderness for another 40 uh, years Um, so they had a lot of time out uh, away from a place that they could call home Uh, eventually they went into canaan they uh, conquered canaan and uh, lived in 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 that land on both sides of the river uh, i believe there um, for a number of 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 years and and even even centuries There. Uh, They weren't always faithful, as we know, but at least they had a home. They had a place. By comparison, and this one could be one that you might say is a little bit of a stretch, Jesus was born in a manger, um, in a stable, we assume. A manger is a feeding trough, and I don't know where a feeding trough would be other than in or around a stable there. He was the son of a carpenter, a common laborer, not the elite. Uh, class of Jews, and he makes the statement, um, there is nowhere for the Son of Man to lay his head down. Now, this is after he is an adult. Even then, Jesus was um, an itinerant preacher, and that is really demeaning uh, when you consider all else he was. Um, Jesus did not have a home base. He did not have a place uh, to stay. He was at the mercy of, of those who followed him around and those um, that he came into contact with as he uh, traveled around teaching. And then he was also buried in a borrowed tomb. So this notion of the homelessness of the Israelites and their, the tabernacle being pr- their, their presence with God could be compared to the life of Christ from beginning to end um, that he uh, had no place to lay his head uh, no place to call home um, and and was uh, in the end glorified as a result according to plan god oh though costly to make uh it uh, the tabernacle was essentially um, boards wood um, curtains and a bunch of skins um It was nothing compared to the temple, even though it was elaborate. It was nothing compared to that that edifice that was constructed on on the temple mount in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus is spoken of in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, uh, which we read often before we partake of the Lord's Supper because it talks so eloquently about uh, um, the form of Jesus, um, how... He was nothing special to look at. We, the quote we have here was uh, no form or comeliness, no beauty that they should um, desire him. Um, there was nothing special in his physical appearance that would attract you to him. But there was something that in, in his teaching, no man has uh, has spoken or speaks with the authority like this man, was a quote. Um well, I think they were sent... These were people who sent, were sent out to take him. And they came back and said, Yeah, mm-hmm. he speaks with considerable authority. We're not going to do that. You, you're going to have to go do it yourself. Um, so, Jesus um, was, was um, quote, unquote, nothing special. But in, in his uh, role, in his uh, coming to this earth, uh, in his dying for mankind in his obedience to the will of his Father, uh, in his glorification, um, not only at one point while he was on this earth, and I think we'll talk about that this week or next week. I can't remember if it's in this lesson because I was looking at both of them this week. Um, at, at one point on this earth in, in the transfiguration. Um, so we ha- we have this comparison. Um, tabernacle, temporary, movable, um, nothing special compared to the temple itself and then we have jesus nothing special to look at but extremely special um, in 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 presence and in authority and in um being son of god god when he came down um he dwelt on the mercy seat we are told on the ark of the covenant between uh, two cherubim which are two angels uh, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I'm assuming not only the Holy of Holies, but probably out into the holy mm-hmm. place and maybe even out into the courtyard as well. Um, uh, by comparison, Jerusalem and Galilee uh, was where uh, Jesus was um, was doing most uh, all of his preaching. Well, here's the point I was just making. He was transfigured between... Those two individuals who represent the law, Mosaical Law, Moses and the prophets, Elijah. He was transfigured between those two individuals. And it says during that transfiguration, they beheld his glory. At that point he was something special to look at. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't I don't I don't know what that was like. And Peter, James, and John who were there uh, Peter was so overwhelmed by the experience. He says, This has to be commemorated some way. Let's build three uh, tabernacles, doesn't he say? Mm-hmm. Uh, three three uh, memorials uh, to, to this event so that we can celebrate the fact that we have Moses. And evidently, Peter, James, and John realized that. Moses, who represents the law, Elijah, who represents the prophets, and Jesus, right in the middle of them, binding those two together. And they beheld his glory. God puts a stop to Peter's plans and says, Yeah. He didn't say it that way and he didn't say this. All three of those are important. But what he did say was, This is my beloved son. Hear him. He has all authority. He is superior to the law and the prophets. He ties the law and the prophets together. And he has that ability to tie man also together with God. Place where God met with man, uh, the tabernacle. The Israelites had come to, could come to the door of the tabernacle uh, to and, and to um, to get close. The high priest got a, a lot closer on on the Day of Atonement. Um, they brought their sacrifices there, and I'm assuming at that point they took them inside. And did the people actually go into the outer courtyard? Guessing so. Okay. Um, I, I do know that they were required to uh, lay their hand on the head of the animal, I think, as it was slaughtered. So if it was slaughtered on the altar, which was inside that outer court there, um, then they had to go inside that. But that certainly was as far as they could go. Only the priests could come into the holy place, only the high priest could come into the holy of holies uh, or the most holy place. Jesus is our meeting place between God and man, as we just said. No one comes to God but by him and through him. He is our only mediator. Jesus is. And he spans the gulf as he is both God and man. So uh, that which tied man to God, sacrificing their sins, and the, whole, the high priest going in, Jesus is the New Testament counterpart of that. The true the real um, not the shadow that the Old Testament situation was the tabernacle was uh, in the center of, of the camp I, uh, I showed you a very uh, inferior picture um, last week here um, that is this is how the, the tent was situated you had um, these various things in here you had things in here and then you had things back here in the Holy of Holies Israel was encamped or along the outside of the tabernacle and where the tabernacle was. And it was in, in the center of the, all of those uh, people who were encamped, uh, encamped there. Um, the Levites um, were in and around. And so uh, they were probably the most important tribe uh, regarding uh, carrying out the word of God because of their role as the priestly tribe Uh, The other tribes are spread around in that outer area. Um, Jesus says, where there are two or more gathered in my name, I am in their midst. He is our gathering center. He is the center of our gathering. And so if you want to make that leap to say the tabernacle was where God was, his people are around. Where Jesus is, his people gather and he is the center of their focus and devotion. It's the place where the law was stored. If you remember, um, when Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the first edition of the law, um, he encounters the people um, engaged in sin. They, uh, through Aaron, have created a golden calf and are worshiping that calf as that physical Representation of what allowed them to escape from Egypt um, and whether or not they intended that golden calf to be representative of God or not it was thoroughly um, unacceptable uh, on God's part and Moses' part and uh, Moses carries the tablets in his hand and throws them down uh, into uh, the group there and they are broken. Um, I i hadn't really thought of it but it could be that that act in and of itself was uh, an indication of how broken the people were and how now separated they were from god i think god even threatens to destroy them at that point and he does another time or two at least in the old testament um and God and Moses, he listens to Moses and and uh, does not destroy them, but he does destroy uh, that law which he has given them. A second version is created uh, later, as we know. But within the tabernacle itself, that second copy was was placed and stored and carried around uh, with them. Um, Psalms 40 verse 8 proclaims Christ's love for and his adherence to the law Um, we have uh, the law of christ and it's preserved in his teachings and his truths we have a couple of uh, passages there that that illustrate that and those are the truths that he left for us within the rest of the new testament Um, not only are his teachings um, his word but everything else in the new testament is his word from time to time you will hear people uh, separating or making a distinction between doctrine and um, what? <clears throat> Jesus' words and doctrine or something of that sort. Or uh, they'll, they'll talk about Jesus, what Jesus never said, this is bad. Well, no, he didn't. But those people who he authorized and endowed with the Holy Spirit were speaking just as authoritatively on things because that information was from God through the Holy Spirit, the same way that that, uh, Jesus was speaking God's will. And so some will say, if Jesus didn't say it, it's not authoritative. These are just enhancements. These are things that we can read. These are man's ideas and and not God's necessarily. And uh, I think a really good argument can be made, a very convincing argument, apparently not to everybody, though, that the entire New Testament is God's Word. And uh, we don't need to go into that at this point, but I just wanted to let you know there will be people who will try to make that distinction between the words and Christ. In him lies all authority, and uh, we have a couple of passages there which talk about that. Um, And not only that, when he commissions his uh, apostles, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you into all truth, guide you into all truth. So uh, that occurs on the day of Pentecost. Uh, all of them are, all, all uh, 12 of them are inspired. They have replaced Judas by this time um, to speak on the day of Pentecost and to speak the gospel that ties us to everything else in, in the New Testament. Um, they even say some things there that Jesus didn't say. But that's how the church was established, was through the instruction of the, uh, from the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, through uh, all of their teaching as they went out and uh, spoke not only in Jerusalem, but Samaria, uh, Judea, and um, the world beyond. Uh, history tells us that uh, that occurred. We don't have details about where the apostles uh, ended up, but history, at least tradition, uh, suggests, and we can't rely on that as authority, but that they did end up in different parts of the world and they ended up dying for um, their convictions and their belief and their testimony. Tabernacle was where sacrifices were made. The brazen altar in the outer court was a site of all sacrifices for the uh, sins of the people. Jesus... Obviously, is our ultimate sacrifice far superior to those on uh, the altar? Um, I'm going to. uh, We we read in Hebrews 9 uh, last week, I believe. I'm going to go to the next chapter, Hebrews 10, and and read some read some verses there because ah, you just can't get any greater clarity than what the Hebrew writer does for us. I'm going to read about 20 verses or so. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow, there's our word, type, of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices under the old law, tabernacle, temple, made year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. We often have the question, well, if they didn't receive forgiveness of their sins, what did they receive? What was the benefit of offering these sacrifices? Listen up. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have, need, uh, have had consciousness of their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes in the world, he says, Sacrificing an offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the roll of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Prophecy about what Jesus would say and did say on numerous occasions when he said he was carrying out his Father's word and will. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin that that thou hast not desired nor hast thou taken pleasure in which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And now he draws a contrast And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for for sins for all time, then sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time Those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. And then he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Didn't have to go in and on a daily basis offer sacrifices for sins. Once Christ, the human sacrifice, the Son of God, sacrificed himself, that was the only ultimate sacrifice that ever needed to be made. Since there, and a couple of more verses. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We are able to go into that... inner sanctuary by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh and since we have this great high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So in those 20 or so verses there, we have this comparison of the Old Testament uh, priest, the old priest under the old law, and how often they had to do it and how regularly they had to do it because it did not grant to those who were sacrificing forgiveness of sins. That only occurred... At the point where Jesus died for mankind, rose from the grave, and as it says in verse 14, for by one suffering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So they were sanctified, they were approved of under the old law, but they didn't have forgiveness of their sins until Jesus died, and that was for all time blood of Christ flows backwards, blood of Christ flows forward and that is echoed in uh, Hebrews the ninth chapter verse 15 as well. So when we talk about Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice he was by far and uh, very much superior uh, to those sacrifices on the altars of old. priestly family, Um, was fed from the tabernacle activities Christians, God's royal priesthood is fed by the word of God Jesus is that word of God he is that Logos he is that bread of life for all mankind we'll talk about the bread of life uh, next week as the place of worship Israel brought sacrifices from its door they could hear the voice of the Lord whatever was going on back behind there we offer a sacrifice of praise through Jesus um, in Hebrews thirteen fifty. It is only by him and through him that we have access to that throne of grace and we can uh, come into contact with God and, and worship God. God. Tabernacle, uh, especially the temple, uh, was a large edifice, but it only had one door through which Israel's uh, access via the high priest uh, gave access to God. Um, Jesus says, I am that door in John uh, 14 and John 10. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets access to the Father but by me. This one was interesting. I don't think I knew this until a few years ago. The Levites were the most important tribe where the tabernacle was concerned. They dwelt in the midst of all of the tribes. However, the first tribe outside of the um, the gate, that single door, was not the Levites. You would think uh, logically it would have been Reuben, being the oldest, right. uh, the one who would obtain uh, the, the the double um, blessing uh, under the under the patriarchal age. Um, but it wasn't Reuben. It wasn't Simeon. It wasn't Levi. It was Judah. The tribe with the most immediate access to the tabernacle was the tribe of Judah. And we know that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Now, was that coincidence? God, you know, the Judah Judahites just snuck up there and got first mm-hmm. first dibs on it or something? No. That, that obviously was specified, and there was a purpose behind that. God was saying to Israel, My son, that seed through which all mankind is going to be blessed, according to the promise of Abraham, is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And they were the ones who always sat up right outside uh, the door uh, or the gate uh, of the opening of the tabernacle there. Jesus is that Lion of Judah, Genesis 49, Revelation 5, 5. He's both our priest and our king. He's a descendant of Judah, and it's only through him that we have access to uh, God and his throne. Two more pieces uh, we need to move along here. Every kingdom in nature, um, if you go back and look at all of the things that were involved um, in in pieces of what God wanted in the construction of, of the tabernacle there. every kingdom in nature, minerals, woods, linen, oil, spices, animals, etc are, are, are mentioned in there and contributed to the features of the tabernacle. Oh was he just saying, okay, let's let's involve everybody. I don't know. Um, he may have been saying more than that. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority, and he is all in all. Um, He is everything. He uh, he lacks in nothing um, for uh, a sacrificing Savior, for a model for us to look at, for... Uh, the, the purity and perfection of his teachings um, uh, in all ways he is our all in all and uh, this one might be a stretch here I'll, I'll grant you every kingdom of nature is, is mentioned in the, in the building of the tabernacle we know that the tabernacle is a type of Jesus and in doing so we have everything wrapped up in Jesus granted That one could be a stretch. Tabernacle was built by Moses, a prophet. Temple later was built by a king. Solomon, both uh, were run by priests. In Christ, we have all three. Jesus refers to himself as a prophet. Mark 6, 4, he is our high priest. Hebrews 7, and he is a king. Um, And so uh, there is that uh, that comparison as well. Positions uh, of honor uh, within the uh, Israelite nation. Uh, Jesus fills all three of those roles, um, and, in his person and in his, um, position and authority.
0: You know, I don't think i heard any of those except, uh, the, the one door, the tabernacle in heaven, one door. I think all the rest of those were new, even to me. That's, that's interesting. There's a, I don't believe in coincidences in scripture. Uh, it's, it's just too laid out, um. Of course, like we were talking about earlier, you can take a um, uh, an Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can take a description too far. We talked about that in parables. You trying to
1: uh, over.
0: Yeah, Over
1: analyze. Yeah. Right? yeah.
0: Um,
1: so I don't know. If, I don't know. These are interesting though. Um, not only with the tabernacle uh, and its construction in and of itself uh McGarvey, Luganville, and others have said that the elements within them, and this is this is one of the things that I have waffled uh, on. I don't know if these were intended. Uh, they could be, and they they are there are certain uh, there certainly there are decent arguments for them. I don't know why God would go to all the trouble to to make this connection between the tabernacle and Jesus and then include things in there that didn't have yeah. symbolic meaning. So, um, it could possibly be that even all of these, the elements inside, um, are uh, pointing toward Jesus as well. The inner court of the priests, sanctified community of believers, we are referred to as a royal priesthood, um, and we have entered the gate or the door of Christ. 1 Peter two nine is among uh, one of those places that talks about our being a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Um, the brazen altar where they uh, made the sacrifices, um, I don't even know what that was like. Um, <laughs> when you talk about um, slaying an animal, a bull, an ox, uh, you know something that large, that massive, um, and um, all that they had to do to cut up the parts and, and sprinkle the blood and, and all of that, and it had to run. The blood had to run everywhere. And we talked about how how ugly sin is to God, and in these sacrifices, I'm sure. He was calling to mind how ugly the sacrificing of animals is, an innocent animal who didn't deserve that, and that animal is suffering for my sins. Um, the cross of Christ, uh, Hebrews 9, 11, 14, uh, where all of mankind's sins were accounted for uh, in his sacrifice. The laver, the bowl, where they did ceremonial washes, sacrifices were washed, as well as the hands and feet of the priest. The entire body of the high priest on Day of Atonement was was washed there. The individual sinner uh, laid his hands on the sacrifice. Um, As the laver, and here's the comparison, as the laver stood at the door of the tabernacle, baptism, water, cleansing stands at the door of the church. Each sinner must accept Christ before baptism and before entry. Um, more about uh, water uh, in upcoming, upcoming weeks and the importance of how God used water in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Next page. Tabernacle itself had two compartments, holy place, most holy place, or holy of holies, symbolic of the church. It is holy. Uh, we are a holy nation, uh, and it is that initial access to God through Christ and heaven, the most holy, Uh, where God resides the golden table and once you get inside all this was in the outer courtyard once you get inside the holy place there you have uh, the bread of the presence Uh, this was uh, the manna that uh, uh, part of the manna that was uh, preserved uh, for uh, the people to for them to know that their care was being provided for on a daily basis by God Represents the life-giving nature and person of Christ for all who partake of the bread of life. This one, I know, is a good one. Next week we'll talk about that because Jesus himself um, makes this comparison and this connection uh, between those two. The golden altar, a bowl where uh, coals from the brazen altar were placed, and I guess in between sacrifices, they would take coals in there and keep those coals going so when the next sacrifice round uh, came about, they would bring out those coals on and make those burn, burn those sacrifices um, there uh, using that. Uh, our lives, our offerings, and our prayers are a sweet aroma to God. Uh, there are several passages there that we're not going to take time to read, but those are interesting um, passages there about how our prayers, our lives are sweet aromas to God much like the uh, sacrifices that they made to God uh, under the old law were sweet aromas to him as well. Golden lampstand, three arms on each side, pointing to the center uh, light. Uh, The biblical word of God is represented by three parts of the Old Testament pointing forward, the law, Psalms, and and the prophets, and the three parts of the New Testament pointing backward. History. Gospels and Acts, instruction, letters, prophecy, revelation. So you've got essentially three parts to each law. And you have Christ here in the middle. And that candle uh, stick uh, pointed toward those things, I think, uh, pointed toward uh, that middle light in the middle. And sounds very plausible that it was a direct comparison to the old law pointing toward Christ, the new law looking back at what Christ did and how Christ is superior in all of that. Table, the showbread, manna, uh, symbolic of the Lord's Supper, which uh, we is a remembrance for us. The veil between the Holy of Holies separated the elements of God from the presence of God and was, access, uh, was uh, accessible um, only through the high priest once a year, as we said. And we talked about the veil being torn. The Ark of the Covenant contained the tables of the law a mercy seat on top between two cherubim. Also in there were Aaron's budded rod. I don't know how you have a rod that buds without it having roots, but it was a rod that budded at one point and it stayed budded. Um, And um, various ways to transport it with the hoops or the rings on the side. God revealed himself and made his presence felt by the one uh, high priest who was present. Last point, Christ's resurrection, ascension, Seating beside the Father is suggested here. Ark and mercy seat are one, as the Father and the Son are one. Manna, God's, God's physical provision. The rod, God's protection. God's spiritual provision. Uh, man at one time or another rejected these, sinning against God. Jesus bore the sins and he reunites us and seals us in the Ark of the Covenant, that heavenly Ark, uh, the one not made with hands. So, I think there's considerable effort um, expended by God to show us this type. Um, if we have stretched a couple of these, as I say, I think he'll forgive us. Uh, our, our goal is to, is to make these connections in the truest and, and uh, most honorable way that we can. We know God uses types. We know that the tabernacle is a type of Christ, as is the temple. Um, how far we go in that comparison, uh, I'll leave that up to you. But these are things that, that scholars say certainly ring of a, a connection between these two. Um, and so they're worth our consideration at least. Any final comments, Chris? Yeah,
0: no. <clears throat> you can download the lesson uh, through our Facebook page. Uh, I think I put the link on the post that was directly beneath this one. If you've got the notes, follow along and that will help. Um, talking about a lot of deep stuff, uh, so trying to see that uh, as, as Rick walks you through it uh, is really helpful. So you can download those uh, off, of, uh, off that post I put on beneath this one.
1: Next week we're going to look at uh, Canaan and heaven as uh, those um, the promised lands uh, that that we have, have been that mankind has been offered um, and uh, the appeal for that rest for the Israelites Canaan for us heaven. I did want to mention one other thing. Um, I have a I ordered a book uh, several years ago uh, and have it on my iPad. It's called uh, and I would recommend it. It's called Man of Galilee. And it's written by Atticus Haygood. Good old name, Atticus (laughs) Haygood. Man of Galilee. And what uh, Atticus does for us is he takes the um, mind of first century um, gospel writers. First century people. And he says he, he tries to prove that The Bible is what it says it is, that it's an an accurate representation of of events that actually happened um, at that time. But he does it by saying and, and giving evidence that mankind could not come up with a Jesus. Even the pictures that we get of the Savior in the Old Testament come nowhere near to, to the person of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the deity of Christ. And so what he does is he goes back and says, mankind, the thinking at that time, the the education at that time, the uh, spiritual condition of people at that time, it is utterly impossible for them to have just concocted in their heads this notion of a Jesus and uh, all That we are reading about here and learning about with these types. Um, It is just phenomenal that God has done all this for us. And as we say every time, it's up to us to make sure that we go back and look at these Old Testament people, stories, events, situations. And make those connections because he wanted us to see them. And we can't do that unless we study his word.
0: All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, I'll try to post this on YouTube, so you can go back <clears> and watch it here or there.
1: And uh, I'm a YouTube sensation. <laughs> never, th- never thought I would be able to say that. <laughs> uh, sensation may be a stretch.
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.